Some of you may know, um, my husband Matt and I um, joined Unlimited, I, I put here almost two months ago, which I think is about right, um, to lead the team into the new phase of the journey of this church. Um, as we're starting to get settled, I am really excited to share today as part of our vision series. And um, The first part was last week. If you missed it, then very exciting. You can now listen to that on Spotify. Today, I'm going to be talking and sharing about why we are going all out for the youth of the city. Now, a long time ago, before I was a vicar's wife and a mum, I was a teenager in Exeter. And uh, I went to Exeter College for sixth form, um, and in my years before that, I would spend most Saturdays coming up to Exeter on the train. We'd go to the cinema, we'd go spend a lot of money in New Look, and I don't know if remember, anybody remembers like E-Tam, like Tammy Girl. Yeah, New Look was also still a thing back then, 915 and all that. Um, and what else I do? I used to go buy loads of stationery in Smiths because that was what everyone did. Paper Chase wasn't around. Actually, Paper Chase is closing, I saw, which is sad. Anyway, yeah, still love stationery. And I used to go to loads of gigs at the Phoenix and the Cavern. And I spent countless hours on the Cathedral Green either making sure that a seagull wasn't going to eat my lunch or making sure that I looked like I was having the best time in the world with all my friends so that the boy that I fancied might notice me. It was also my uh, teenage years that were pivotal in my spiritual journey. And after the impact of a brilliant church youth group, and I used to go to Soul Survivor, which some of you guys here might have heard of, which was a big youth festival that used to happen up the road in Somerset every year. And then Soul Exeter, anybody remember Soul Exeter? Yeah, weird to think we all would have been in a room together and wouldn't have known each other. Um, yeah, we used to go to Soul Exeter events, which were like mini Soul Survivor events that used to happen here in Exeter. I still remember. No, actually, I won't go into that. No. <laughs> I feel like all my stories involve boys. That's why I was like, I oh, know. I remember I was like really cold outside after a Soul Exeter. Which boys, you say? It wasn't you, sorry, babe. Um, <laughs> I remember like being really cold and this boy that I fancied lent me his jumper and then I just like forgot to give it back to him and I literally kept it for so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely did actually not forget. Anyway, I've totally derailed things. Where was I going? Okay, um, yes, so after going to all this stuff, getting really plugged in, I decided at the age of 14 that I was going to follow Jesus and I was baptised in the sea at Timnath. Um, as I grew older, I moved to London for uni um, and I got involved in a brilliant church that I loved, an amazing students programme got really involved in leading worship, and I was provided so many opportunities, not only just to grow and to strengthen my faith and build deep foundational friendships, but also to share and challenge my faith and beliefs with so many people who had completely different cultures, views, beliefs, and religions. There we are. Can you spot me? Can you tell which one's me? I think so. It's with the glass of interesting coloured rosé there. That's me. Um, so, yeah, I remember the hours spent in our local student bar um, and in our uni halls, sat round um, the kitchen table um, with a really diverse group of friends and housemates and course mates. There we are. That was literally my... I don't think halls look like that nowadays, do they? They do? 
Okay. Literally the year after I lived there, it was then knocked down. <laughs> that's how bad it was. And it used to be a hospital before that, which is interesting. Anyway, that's me, and that was my other friend, Laura. We were both called Laura, which I thought was fun. Um, anyway, I'm getting way too distracted. Um, yeah, we used to have loads of really interesting conversations that really challenged but also confirmed my beliefs in a way that I had never experienced before. Um, those years, specifically from age 14 to 24, like, provide and create so many opportunities to follow very different paths in our lives and are so pivotal in our journeys as we mature and we grow. And I'm sure you would all agree, whether you are in your teens, whether you are in your 20s, or whether you've lived through them, they are key formative years in everybody's life. And so the rising generations are starting to discover who they are, forming their own opinions rather than their parents or other significant adults in their lives. So why wouldn't we want to share the gospel and good news that Jesus brings when we come to know him and accept him into our lives as our saviour? Thirteen years ago, Unlimited Church here was birthed out of that. It was birthed out of that hunger and that passion to reach young people in Exeter. It was abundantly clear that the majority of these young people had little or no experience of church, and more importantly, of faith in Jesus. And I think that is way more the case now than 13 years ago. Even as we move further away as from the times of like our grandparents where going to church was still an often kind of culturally expected tradition, um, if not every Sunday, then definitely at Christmas and Easter. Um, less people are getting married, whether in church or at all. Less kids are being baptised, as well as schools having a lot less links to Christian traditions. Those aged 14 to 24 generally have way less to do with the church than ever before. It's now not uncommon for someone in their teens or their 20s who have literally never set foot in a church building ever in their life. And yet the need and the hunger for more in their lives couldn't be more apparent. Here's some really eye-opening stats for you all. In the last three years, the likelihood of young people having a mental health problem has increased by 50%. Now, one in six, or so that's um, five kids or teens in a classroom of 30, are likely to have a mental health problem. We obviously know that the pandemic has had a massive effect on most people's mental health, but it really has been children and young people that have um, suffered detrimental effects that we are going to be managing, dealing with, and helping, hopefully, for years to come. Okay, secondly, 50% of all mental health problems start by the age of 14 and 75% by the age of 24. That is insane. And that's why our specific aim of reaching 14 to 24-year-olds is so crucial. And then finally, 52% of all 17 to 23-year-olds in the UK have experienced a deterioration in their mental health in the last five years is absolutely heartbreaking. And these scary and very worrying statistics are also unfortunately confirmed by a lot of local youth workers in our city who have noticed a real sense of hopelessness and despair in so many young people in Exeter. 
Now, I love social media. I've actually given up Instagram for Lent because I just, as I'm sure many of us do, get very easily sucked in. I can easily spend hours just scrolling away, but I do still love it. Um, for all of the negatives that people share about social media and young people, which I, of course, understand and agree, and I'm sure also will be struggling with when my kids are older, um, actually, young people have been great at opening up conversations about mental health in a way that generations past just weren't. And social media has been a massive help with that. So many talk really openly about their struggles um, on social media, and the Children's Society has said they've moved society forward, reduced the stigma surrounding mental health, um, and made it a public issue. It's not surprising that psychotherapists and counsellors have built up millions of followers on TikTok and on Instagram, and I'm sure many of you follow some of them like I do, um, because especially of, of all this stuff over the past year. This is why we here at Limited are so crucially identifying ourselves as a multi-generational church that has a very detailed focus on the youth of our city. The rising generation, specifically those aged 14, you're not going to go home without forgetting this, those aged 14 to 24, to share with them our faith and what life living for Jesus can look like and how much fulfillment it can bring to our lives. Now a very specific and a very direct call and passion like this requires a very specific vision and motivation. And where better to look to than Jesus? Now, I'm a very detail-driven person. I like to know the facts, the figures. So here is the real story. Yeah, unlike Matt. <laughs> the, the guys that Jesus chose and appointed to be his very trusted friends, to do the work with him, his disciples, all would have been teenagers, almost all, would have been teenagers themselves. That's crazy. Most of them would have been under 18 and maybe even as young as 15. They were all young, single guys apart from Peter, um, as we learn in Matthew, because Jesus heals his mother-in-law, so he must be married to have a mother-in-law. And the only other one who might have been older than 18 is Matthew, um, who was a tax collector that I talked about a few weeks ago in depth. But these guys were all in these similarly pivotal points in their lives, as I've discussed for any person. All this leads to a very significant discovery. And one of that thing, it, I'm getting too excited. This all leads to a very significant discovery. And that is that one of the first things that Jesus did or his, during his ministry on earth is that he started investing in young people. Now let's just think about that for a second. In my head, I have always thought that disciples would probably have looked like this. I think probably most of us, that's how we think of them, that's how they're depicted in a lot of media, but actually they probably look more like this. That's insane. Like that's actually mad. I'm sorry, I know it's just a stock photo, but you get the idea. Like Jesus was like the goat of, of youth leaders. He spent vast amounts of time and energy into those younger than him, but he also threw himself fully into trusting them and doing life and ministry closely with them. He invested younger and he trusted younger. So I think we all need to be challenged today. 
If Jesus trusted and invested so much into those younger than him, then we must do the same. We must follow his discipleship model. Historically, we could easily say that each generation has mistrusted and judged the next. Baby boomers, whoo, what happened there? Like, voice has even gone even more. Love it. Um, no, I don't. <laughs> um, baby boomers um, who had more of, this is all very generic, of course, so i yeah, please, no judgment. And um, had more of a kind of, baby boomers had more of maybe a free-range approach to parenting, shall we say, and they would think of Gen X as being helicopter parents. Gen X um, would say that millennials are self-centered and entitled because of their high usage and reliance on technology. And millennials think of Gen Z as having a desperate need to be constantly connected to each other via tech. At Unlimited, we want to be a church that breaks that mold and trusts those younger than us, not judge. Thanks, babe. And it's just like what Jesus did, without judgment. For those of you here today that are the rising generations, push for that trust, but equally expect it to come with responsibility. And for those of us that might be a little bit older than that, how can we actively seek out opportunities to hand over that trust and that leadership to those that are younger than us? As we step out of the way, we see young people come into their potential, they're released, they're encouraged, and they're enabled to do things that they may have never expected they could do. And it is something we'd love to see more of here at church in particular. Wouldn't it be great if our church could be led by the rising generations? Hosting, leading worship, running the cafe, being on our leadership team, preaching, leading prayer ministry, running initiatives, inviting their friends, coming up with crazy ideas that I would have never thought of myself. Now, you might be thinking, what's with this term? You might have heard us say it before, the rising generations. And we very specifically mean those aged 14 to 24. Well done, guys. Um, as the rising generations with real intention, as I've already mentioned. Firstly, looking at that word rising itself. Within the context of a generation, and this refers to young people who are growing in age, increasing in maturity, and will soon or already are old enough to vote, have jobs, etc. Now, many people often mistakenly refer to this age as the next generation. How many times have we heard that, right? But it just simply isn't true. Next implies they're coming after what's happening now. That just isn't the case. They very much are the church now, not next. Now, if you've been around here for more than a minute, then uh, you might have heard Matt share what for us is an increasingly key um, motivation for doing all that we do. And that is that 86% of people in the church today joined before the age of 25. I love it, all these facts and figures like give us so much like actual like true knowledge, like you just, we can't ignore this stuff. And again, that's why we're so, so keen on reaching the rising generations. Now we are all desperate for belonging, right? And sometimes community and belonging can be found in the very strangest of places. 
after our daughter Phoebe was born, um, I have experienced years of health troubles, um, and I have found online support groups of women across the world who have been through similar experiences. Although it's a weird way to bond, um, to be able to share and to empathise with those who totally understand you is invaluable. Feeling fully comfortable and safe within a community is truly validating. It's within our very nature and is part of our belonging found in Christ that we were created to do life together within a community by giving our lives to the one who sacrificed his son for us. And we can find this written about throughout the Bible. So firstly, Galatians 3, verse 25 to 29 says, But now you have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not washing you up for a fresh start, not just washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe. Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. And since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendant, heirs according to the covenant promises. Secondly, in Romans um, 14, verses 7 to 9, it says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And for the, to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. And then he goes on to say in Romans 15, verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And yet, although we know that community and belonging, even at an early age, is key in knowing that stat that the majority of people in the church in the UK now join before the age of 25, giving us proof that we must focus on those under 25, the Church of England right now in no way represents this. Reports came out last month that the average age of those who identify as a Christian in the UK is now actually older than the average age of a National Trust member. We must do better to prioritise our energies, our efforts, our finances and our resources towards reaching young people. Otherwise, quite frankly, the church could easily die out probably within my children's lifetime. And just what would that look like? A world without church. Now, you may argue that you can still have a belief and a faith in God without church, which of course is possible. But you clearly think there's value in church, otherwise you wouldn't be here now. The church is where we come for true community. It's where we meet together to worship, to pray for one another, to spur each other on. The church is like the mission hub of the Christian faith. It's a place where we are encouraged, loved, and supported to become a little bit more like Jesus each day doing his work. But this is so much more than the church dying out. This is about encouraging, releasing, and guiding young people to realize their potential. Now, when somebody trusts you and gives you responsibility, it could definitely go one of two ways. 
However, more times than not, if the person entrusting somebody else does who a careful insight and wisdom, we can really flourish when we're trusted. Now, my background and my training is in event management. And I worked for many years in London as an event manager, and I absolutely loved it. Now, I remember my first event I was ever assigned at my first job, fresh out of uni. I literally just finished my finals, went straight in, um, so excited and a bit nervous. Um, and I remember I was given a budget for my first event of £10,000. Now, compared to many events I've managed since then, that is a minute budget. But at the time, I remember thinking, I can't believe this charity has trusted me with £10,000, let alone the safety of everybody working at that event um, and of everybody attending the event and also managing a lot of staff. I knew that I had done the training, I'd done a fair amount of work experience, I'd worked on a lot of events um, before, but feeling that, in trust, that trust from my employer, I believe, really enabled me to do what I think was a pretty great job. It felt like I did a great job at the time. Um, and I was really encouraged to make bold decisions and to lead with confidence. And the rising generations in Exeter have so much to offer our local community. Talent, passion, creativity, ideas, problem solving, emotional maturity, especially with how they're feeling on a mental health level, um, as I mentioned earlier. And in the right environment with the right support, the right encouragement, the right leadership, the right mentorship, we can help them to flourish and to be released into their gifts that God has blessed them, whether they know it or not. And alongside that, an amazing sense of purpose. And imagine if that then in turn was poured into the life of the church. Um, who here listens, I hope someone does, actually I know Matt does, um, to Diary of a CEO by Stephen Bartlett? Okay, great. Um, right, guys, it's one of the UK's most successful podcasts. Um, if you like listening, you can listen to it. If you like watching, which I do, you can watch it on YouTube, and I would completely recommend it. It's brilliant. Um, Stephen Bartlett, is, he's like the young new guy that's well, the young dragon, Dragon's Den, if that's any relation. Anyway, a few weeks ago, I was listening to an episode um, where Stephen Bartlett interviewed Fern Cotton. Who's here heard, heard of Fern Cotton? Maybe more people. Yay! I love Fern. She's cool. Um, you may know she was a very successful children's TV presenter. She started as a young teenager, but now is an accomplished broadcaster and writer. And she spoke about naivety. She spoke it in a way that I found incredibly interesting and really eye-opening. She said, a huge amount of naivety allowed me to believe that I could do it. And I think it's good to have that naivety as a youngster. You become jaded as you get older. You see the pitfalls and when you've made mistakes. And so I miss that naivety because I don't have any of it anymore. I know what I'm stepping into. I second-guess the bad stuff that's going to happen. And I'm probably overly cautious. But there was back then, I could be ridiculously wild and brave because I was naive, and it got me somewhere. And so that's really turned 
my view of naivety around. And so I really do believe that naivety is also a quality that the rising generations bring as a really positive thing. Being brave, having wild ideas, without any cynicism, believing that things can change are all amazing attributes that a lot of us as we get older just start, unfortunately, to lose. Fern also talked on the podcast about how she was mentored and she was coached by a local um, theatre school um, over the years and that that has really helped to get her to where she is today. Now, mentoring is an amazing and a very biblical model, um, especially as we look at the relationship, some of you may have heard, between Paul and Timothy, which gives us a very clear example of mentorship that helps and encourages us to do the same. In Acts 16, we first meet Timothy. He's a young guy. He traveled with Paul and with Silas on a missionary journey. Timothy essentially was like an apprentice um, to Paul, and in turn, Paul kind of became like a spiritual father to Timothy. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he addresses him as my true son in faith. That sense of parenthood is really important as we dream big, as it allows us to still be grounded. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he writes, You know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, you know my patience, my love, and my endurance. This is pace setting. He is aiming to show Timothy how he is an example to him of somebody with a mature faith and leadership. And Paul sets the pace with his life, challenging Timothy to learn by keeping up and emulating his lifestyle. Now, the third and final phase of mentoring that we learn about in this relationship between Paul and Timothy after parenthood and pace setting is partnering. In the book of Romans, we read a totally random reference that Paul makes to Timothy in chapter 16, verse 21. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greetings. Now, the significance here, as we can see with a lovely arrow, is that Timothy has gone from being a son to a student and now to being a colleague and a co-worker. We can often have a tendency to be hoping and praying that more people join us to do the work, join our churches, but are we sometimes missing the call for the investment needed in those around us with potential to get to that stage? When I was 18, I got involved in the worship team in my new life, my new life, my new church in London. I guess it was like a new life. Um, and I started getting asked to sing at some events and Christian conferences um, around the country. I'm talking big, like 10,000 people big. I couldn't quite believe it. Um, and these, these worship leaders and these ministries were putting their reputation on the line by inviting me, an ex inexperienced teenager with a potential gift, to help to lead thousands of people in worship. And what an honor it was, it was amazing. And I was coached, I was mentored, and I was encouraged by uh, the worship leaders and singers who were a little bit older than me, more experienced than me, and to this day, I look at and massively respect. Over the years, I went from feeling like a kind of younger sister, a younger 
cousin being shown the ropes to then being guided by these worship leaders who I admired and respected so much, especially after seeing how they lived their lives with such authenticity. And then to working alongside them as a singer on tours and events. Um, and so I journeyed through that mentorship relationship um, on the receiving end of those phases of parenthood, pace setting and partnering. As I finish up, I wanted to share this quote with you that I found in a really interesting online article. Maybe Jesus knew that when we get older, we get more set in our ways. We're stubborn, comfortable with where we are, and maybe less aware of younger ages. Maybe Jesus knew if his story was going to have the greatest impact, he would need to leave it in the hands of a generation that were fearless, creative, bold, flexible, and more content, content sorry, with challenging the status quo than many of us.